Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Friday. It is November 10th. Happy early Veterans Day. Thank you to all the veterans. Uh, it is on Saturday. If you were unfamiliar, some of you might have off today, which is great. Enjoy that. Uh, it's not great weather here. It's going to be sunny, but it's going to be cold here in the great state of Milwaukee and the surrounding Milwaukee, well, Wisconsin. <laughs> Hot start on a Friday. Anyways, we got a lot to talk about. This is a big show today for a Friday. We're going to talk about why everybody has a TJ Watt mistake. I'll get into what I mean by that. We're going to also chat about the Brewers and the rebuild overreaction. Then we will get into the Milwaukee Bucks, some takeaways from the last two nights. Uh, and then we'll wrap up the show with, will Badger fans accept that the Badgers have an incomplete for this year? So like I said, it is a loaded Friday show. Uh, before we get going, social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. want to shout out all of you who engaged with our Craig Council content this week. It was great. Uh, we've had some really good responses. The comment sections were wild. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so if you are checking us out from that, if this is new to you, if you just started following along, uh, thank you so much. We got a lot of followers off TikTok as well as Twitter. Had a few followers, I think, from Marquette as well. So if this is brand new to you. We've taped podcasts four days a week. Uh, Mitch and I do one. I do three myself. Uh, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast, we are there. So if we're not there for some reason, reach out to me on Twitter probably is the best way to do it. Um, and we'll make sure that that happens. All right. So, and if you already are subscribed, you know what to do. The reviews, I tell you all the time, but leave those reviews. Uh, make sure you're sharing this in the group chat. I feel like this is a great group chat discussion. TJ Watt gets everybody fired up. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get into it and also the other stuff today. So it's a long show probably for Friday. Uh, usually I like to kind of keep Fridays a little more loose. They're still, we're still going to have some vibes. So it's still a good vibe. It's Friday, right? But it's a longer show because there's a lot to fucking talk about. Oh, yeah. We're also going to do betting lines at the end for both our Packers and Badger topics. So we didn't, didn't forget about that. Didn't shelve the betting show. But we just have a lot to talk about. So we're going we're gonna to get into that right now. TJ Watt will be lining up against either Rasheed Walker, Josh Nyman, or Zach Tom on Sunday. Uh, TJ Watt's likely going to make their life a living hell. TJ Watt's probably going to have a big play against the Green Bay Packers because he is a big game player. There's no question about that. And there will be someone sitting in Venona Grove, in Verona, in on Alaska, in Waukesha that goes, oh, you know, TJ, he, TJ, just, he should be a Packer. We drafted Kevin fucking King, Ted Thompson, God rest his soul. He drafted Kevin King over TJ Watt. I can't fucking believe it. That will be what you hear on a lot of couches in Wisconsin on Sunday when TJ Watt makes a big play. Look, I get it. I understand it. TJ Watt had the pedigree. JJ Watt at that time was a fucking animal. But people believe that TJ Watt was just a bull rusher. That that's all TJ Watt could do. No one saw the ceiling of TJ Watt as a defensive player of the year. 
That was not known. I wrote things. I used to write. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I, I will never go not go back or I will not go back to writing, but I just don't have the time. But when I wrote, and you could find this, and I maybe I'll link it out if I if I have time today. I made a case that Vince Beagle should be the guy that the Packers draft over TJ Watt, which I actually did. And I was happy about it. And for years, I defended the Packers for taking Kevin King. And it was a fight that I would have with people, all my buddies. And they'd be like, oh, you're carrying the water. You're carrying the water. This, this whole thing. But as pointed out today by Pete Bukowski uh, of Lockdown Packers, Pete had this, which it's very true. And it's something that we all have to remember when it comes to the TJ Watt, Kevin King debate, which will never probably die. It will always exist. Pete said this. The thing people love to forget about the TJ Watt versus Kevin King draft is Nick Perry just had an 11-sack season. Clay Matthews was still good, and the Packers were starting Ladarius Gunter as CB1 versus Julio Jones in the 2016 NFC Championship game. They needed a CB. That's absolutely true. That is absolutely true from Peter, and he is right. And what I, I originally little behind the scenes here. I was going to do like biggest Packers draft mistakes. And we're going to talk about that. Then I saw that. I thought about it. And I wanted to zag a little bit. Because what I I thought about is that everybody has TJ Watt mistakes. There are countless examples from drafts to drafts about how if you just would have taken a player one pick before, you would have been more successful. Your team, that is. And sometimes there are situations, and we'll get into them, where a team drafted a pretty good player, but they could have drafted an even better player, and and they didn't. And now, granted, again, we don't have the context what Peter just provided, but I think what's important to realize here is yes, TJ Watt was a Badger. Yes, his brother JJ was awesome at that time, and he was awesome for his career. He's going to be a first battle Hall of Famer, the whole fucking thing, and TJ is going to be too. And it's an incredible family story about football. And you wish the Packers could have been part of that conversation, but they're not. You got to understand that this happens every year. Hell, if you watch that terrible Panthers-Bears game, which if you did, if you watch that whole game and you're not a Panthers or Bears fan, you deserve a goddamn medal. You deserve a beer. Like you should get a free beer at the bar today. Like that should be your goal. And if you watch it over Bucks Pacers, I am judging you. Um, if you're back, if you're a Bucks fan, but if you're not a Bucks fan, I, I guess I get it. But I, I mean, the Louisville Virginia game was popping off. Uh, the uh, Southern Miss Louisiana game was dramatic. Like there was other football you could have watched if you even if you weren't a hoops fan. But anyways, uh, that that right there, there's a potential TJ Watt mistake. Bryce Young was taken over CJ Stroud. And if Panthers could do it over again, they would take CJ Stroud. And sometimes it's position to position. That's when it's really bad. And we'll talk about these examples where it looks really terrible. But there are other examples where it's a different position. And probably the reason why they drafted said position is because they needed that guy at that time. But there are TJ Watt mistakes littered through drafts. Let's walk through them and start this journey. 
So yes, 2017 draft. And that's where we're going to start and we're going to end in 2022. Packers could add T.J. Watt. Bummer. You know who else could add T.J. Watt? The Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns traded up in the Packers spot and drafted David Njoku. David Njoku is a everyday tight end, but he's not T.J. Watt. The Atlanta Falcons could have had Tredavious White. They didn't do that. They... I won't always have who they... I should have added who they drafted. I only have what they they could have. But the Falcons dra- drafted someone else. They could have had Tredavious White. Tredavious White was a top corner, is a top corner for the Buffalo Bills. The Indianapolis Colts, Marlon Humphrey. The Colts would have probably benefited from having Marlon Humphrey on their team. Now, they drafted Malik Hooker before that. So it was a secondary position. So again, making it worse. Cincinnati Bengals... Drafted John Ross, who is a fan favorite in one of my group chats. Shout out John Ross over Patrick Mahomes. Now you're like, Charlie, do they need a quarterback? Well, it's Patrick Mahomes. Now, granted, we, I don't think anyone knew that Patrick Mahomes would get to this level. There was the potential there. But if the Bengals would have took that risk, and I know they got lucky, they got Joe Burrow, but still... They could have Patrick Mahomes and they settled for Andy Dalton, who was just delivering six and nine, seven and nine seasons. Think about if they did not get Joe Burrow. They would have to sit with the fact they could have Patrick Mahomes. And that's worse than the Chicago example, in my opinion, because I feel like that that's one pick away. The Los Angeles Chargers could have Christian McCaffrey. They took Mike Williams, like Mike Williams, solid player, but he always gets hurt. And there were injury concerns coming out of college. And the Chargers could have had Christian McCaffrey. And Christian McCaffrey could have been what Austin Eckler is today and, and better. And who knows? Could that have propelled the Chargers? Never know. So, so did this just happen in 2017, you asked? No, it happened in 2018. The Denver Broncos could have had Quentin Nelson. That, that, would, that would probably have helped their offensive line. This is one's a little spicy because Quentin... Are... Oh, oh, yeah, this... This is a little spicy because the Colts, you know, obviously drafted Quentin Nelson, and Quentin Nelson is a good player. But the Colts could have had Josh Allen. Colts could have had Josh Allen, and they passed up on Josh Allen for Quentin Nelson. Now, again, Quentin Nelson was a freak. Quentin Nelson's a really good fucking player, but he's not Josh Allen. The Arizona Cardinals could have had Minka Fitzpatrick. The Vegas Raiders, at that time, they were Oakland. Could have trained up. It's really, it's not that great. I mean, you got a big contract, but they drafted some nobody tackle Colt Miller who's just okay on the left side. This is way worse. This example is way worse than the 2018 or the 2017 Packer example. New England Patriots could have had DJ Moore and Lamar Jackson. Think about that for a second. DJ Moore helps prevent basically takes you to the late stage Brady and Lamar Jackson is the next quarterback for Patriots history. The Ravens, by the way, could have had Calvin Ridley, but they didn't draft Calvin Ridley. So you see a pattern here, right? There are examples of this all over the place. It, uh, 2019, there isn't as many. Vegas, again, shows up, could have had Devin White. The Washington Commanders, not the Commanders at that time, could have had Brian Burns. Minnesota Vikings could add Jeffrey Simmons. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons, I know, had a lot of legal issues and whatever, but he's one of the best players in football. And he could have been a Viking. Thank God he isn't. The Baltimore Ravens could add Montez Sweat. 
2020, obviously weird with COVID, and it was because the Lions could add Andrew Thomas. Now, not a great left tackle, but he's better than Jeff Okuda. The New York Giants could add Tua Tagovailoa. The Giant they drafted Thomas, who we just mentioned. But if you ask the Giants, would they rather have Tua or Daniel Jones on his massive contract? I know he just tore his ACL, but before that, even the case. The Raiders show up again because they could add Tristan Wirfs. Tristan Wirfs is one of the best tackles in football. The Denver Broncos could add A.J. Terrell. The Falcons, who drafted A.J. Terrell, could add C.D. Lamb. This one is the worst example, though. This is the example that is worse than T.J. Watt. And even though they got to the Super Bowl and it didn't matter and no one's going to remember it because it didn't matter, the Philadelphia Eagles could add Justin Jefferson. They drafted Jalen Rager, who's on his third team, fourth team. He's with the Patriots now. And they drafted him over Justin Jefferson. By far, way fucking worse than what we saw with TJ Watt and the Green Bay Packers. T. Higgins could have been a, a Kansas City Chiefs member. Instead, they drafted Clyde Edwards Lair with their final pick. Let's go to 2021, which is just as weird as. 2020. You had the Atlanta Falcons could add Jamar Chase. The Carolina Panthers could have Patrick Chatan. Carolina Panthers, again, with the Bryce Young show up, they drafted J.C. Horn instead. J.C. Horn, been an okay player, but he's been hurt a lot. The Chicago Bears could have Micah Parsons. I know Justin Fields has shown signs of glimmers, but would you rather have Micah Parsons on this football team if you're the Bears? Probably, right? Monster of the Midway, the next great Bears defender. Tennessee Titans could add Christian Darashaw. Not a, not a great player, but it was better than what the Titans picked. Pittsburgh Steelers drafted Najee Harris over Travis Etienne. That's a mistake. Jaguars, while Etienne's good, is Craig Newsom better? I don't know. I'll, I'll throw that one out. Um, Packers <laughs> show up again. Gregory Rousseau uh, over Eric Stokes. And if I think Murph and I were starting to do draft pods back then, we talked about Rousseau as a potential option for Green Bay. And the fact was with Rousseau was he, they just didn't know what his motivation was. Like Rousseau started out the year, like the mock drafts had him as a top five pick and he just didn't really have that great of a, a last year. And Rousseau's now come on and he's a legit player for the Buffalo Bills. It took a little time, but and I know Eric Stokes, part of the bust factor of him is the injury, but, and maybe at some point Eric Stokes comes back to life. And then Tampa could add Tyson Campbell, who was Eric Stokes' comment, which is another Packer misfire if, if you want to go down that path. 2022, I didn't have many. There are some at the top that are glaring. You know, the Travion Walker over Aiden Hutchinson thing looks terrible. Derek Stingley over Sauce Gardner looks bad. Even though Charles Cross is all right, Imagine Garrett Wilson with Seattle's offense. Take out Jackson Smith and Jigba, but add Garrett Wilson with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Are you fucking kidding me? That's that's unbelievable. I know they needed a tackle. Again, that's the TJ Watt example, right? Like they needed a tackle. They did not need a wide receiver. They had DK, they had Tyler Lockett, but you could add Garrett Wilson. Detroit could add Jordan Davis. Philly could add Kyle Hamilton, who I know they drafted Davis. But the reason we do this exercise is because you should see that this happens every year. You don't want it to happen to your team a lot. The Packers are one of the only two teams that I had that happened twice. 
Patriots had twice in one draft, where things way worse. The Raiders were the top dogs with three times this has happened. The Ravens had it happen twice. The Broncos had it happen twice. The Falcons had it happen twice. The Jaguars had it happen twice. So it, it's not like something that it, but I think we went through most of the NFL teams. I mean, I'd have to dig through it and see which teams were not mentioned in here. But it, it, it's just omnipresent. Like, it's not something that doesn't happen every goddamn draft. And while we can be upset that TJ Watt's a Steeler, why we can be upset that TJ Watt is not a Packer after being a Badger, and I know there are a lot of Badger fans that probably feel that way, it's not that big of a fuck-up. Because A, the Packers did not need an edge rusher at that time, and B, this happens every year. Now you can say, Charlie, that's, that's coping, that's, that's kind of excusing, that's carrying the water. But it's just, it's part of the NFL draft. These fuck-ups happen every year. They happen every round. As we get deeper into the draft, round by round, it get, the fuck-ups become bigger because we just don't know, right? And I, I think that we need to kind of rethink and retrain our brain on how we examine this if it if they're just a bad drafter they're just a bad draft right brian gunnikus has come under some fire my point with brian is his 2020 and 2021 drafts are absolutely miserable he did not figure out how to draft during covid he had no idea how to do it and because it limited his ability to do the scouting to have his teams out there he fucked that up, and that's fucking up the Green Bay Packers. His, but then, coincidentally enough, his 2023 draft w- looks really good. His 2022 draft has some promise, too. So that's where you're like, okay, it, it's kind of this line of demarcation. And so I think that we can all just kind of collectively look at this and say, let's put the TJ Watt thing to bed. He's never going to be a Packer. He's going to be a Steeler for life. He's part of the Steeler lore. And yes, it was a mistake. But this happens all over the NFL. All right. Before we move on from the Packers, I did want to talk a little bit about Packers Steelers. We haven't talked a lot about this matchup. It's it's a fascinating one. Packers have not won in Pittsburgh since the Bart Starr era, which is fucking wild. Kenny Pickett seems to pull games out of his ass like no one's business. So we could be in for a true heartbreak on Sunday with Kenny Pickett leading the charge down the field. Packers might be very limited at corner. Doesn't sound like Jair Alexander is going to play. Now has a shoulder injury on top of that back injury. Man, that Jair contract is getting extremely tough to defend. Um, And it's just, it's looking worse and worse by the day. I, I look at the line and it's three and a half to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I, I just think that's too high. I think with how the Steelers have been playing all season, where they're just playing these back and forth games, it should be three. It should be three. I don't expect the Steelers to win any game by seven. Mike Tomlin, not the best as a favorite. Uh, I just think the Packers are going to be in this football game within the number. Now, do I think the Packers can win this game? I do think they can win it. I just don't, I don't think the Steelers are that good. I think the Steelers are bound to regress at some point. They have a negative point differential. 
And I know that in baseball, we talk about point differentials and sometimes they matter, sometimes they don't. And we saw it with the Vikings last year where they kept winning one score games, they kept winning one score games. Steelers might be the Vikings of this year. That is extremely on the table. But sometimes you get exposed. And maybe this is the week the Packers expose what the Steelers are doing. We'll have to see. Aaron Jones should be able to run the football. The Steelers are not very good against the run, which is crazy given how good their defense is, but their defense is very opportunistic. It is on Jordan Love to play a conservative game, but I hope he's like a conservative gunslinger. I realize that's an oxymoron, but it's like, can you just do enough? Like, can you just have a few of those big plays, but not, not like try too hard? We'll have to see. But I'm definitely taking the Packers plus the three and a half. Uh, I'll take the hook. I'll, or I'll buy it to four. And then 39 under, That's that one to me is way easier than the, four, than the three and a half. Uh, if it was three, I think I still would take it, but I'd expect the push. I expect it if the Packers were to lose, it'd be 20 to 17 or something like that. But 39 under all day. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see these teams going over. The pa- Packers have been an under team really all year so of the Steelers uh it just seems like it's going to be the first two 17 points wins this game uh I I hope that it's the Packers uh Matt LaFleur's coach against Mike Tomlin uh with Rodgers that is in 20 I think it was 2021 but yeah can the Packers finally win in Pittsburgh and it, I will say it would probably be a little boost to Jordan Love's confidence if he can say that he's the first quarterback since Bart Starr to win at Pittsburgh I know that sounds dumb. It's kind of meathead fan-ish, but it's like that that's kind of that has to give you some motivation, right? And then if Packers do win, they are back in it. And we're probably gonna overreact. Uh, I will tell you that much. But yeah, I, I don't think the Steelers team is unbeatable. I just think that they pull games out of their ass. And if they do, and Boswell hits a game-winning field goal against us, well, we'll we'll just live with that and hopefully it's you know well definitely be under the three and a half and it will hopefully it'll be under 39 points and then we win both our bets which i again i don't want to cheer for our bets but then you can take a step back and be like all right yeah those hit so yeah i uh we'll, we'll have to see it's gonna be an interesting game it will be a slog at times it might it will not be the prettiest i will tell you that much but i i hope packers come out alive and come out victorious all right, let's move on to the Brewer rebuild overreaction. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, who broke the story for the Craig Council going to the Chicago Cubs, had a note about that the Brewers are basically listening on everybody and that they could potentially be looking at a rebuild. And this has caused a little bit of panic among the Brewer online community. And I think it is a overreaction. I think, you know, Rosenthal writing that little bit bombastic, uh, obviously trying to get some attention. It made its way to Talking Baseball, which is a, it's a great account, but they they build off engagement. Like they always are looking for engagement. They're, enga- they're engagement horse uh, with all due respect. And so of course they had this big thing, splash thing about, oh, they're, they're willing to trade anybody. So there are fucking fans thinking that William Contreras is going to, or Wilson, excuse, no, William, I had it right. William Contreras is going to get traded, the silver slugger for the catchers in the National League. Motherfuckers are thinking that we're going to just dump the farm. Now, Robert Murray also said something that they could be looking at a major rebuild. I just, 
don't exactly buy it. And I don't understand why they would do it. If they were to do it when there's already an angry fan base, that there's already this clamoring for state money, and then you're going to go out and you're going to lose 90 to 100 games, it sends such an awful message. If you hire Pat Murphy and you're just checking a box and you're like, oh, we'll just let Pat Murphy, who apparently is a serious candidate. I, man, I just think this it's a miserable message to send to your fans. I, after all the winning, you're like, all right, well, we got to retool, rethink about this. I talked about it with Mitch on Wednesday's show where I was like, look, I think they can do something like Arizona. Like, I think you can, I'm not saying they're going to get to the World Series, but you trade Corbin Burns, you trade Willie Adonis, you get some power back, you get some offense back on your team, you get maybe some help in the bullpen, whatever it may be. And then you have this young core that you start to build. Now, is the rotation going to be questionable? Absolutely. Like it's Freddie Peralta, it's Aaron Ashby, it's maybe Adrian Hauser if he comes back, maybe Wade Miley if he comes back, and probably somebody else, some slapdick. Now, it also could open the door for Robert Gasser or Jason, J- Jacob Mizorowski to find their way to the starting rotation. Carlos Rodriguez, probably more of a long shot for Rodriguez uh, at least at the start of the year, but maybe by June or July. And you still have Devin Williams if you don't trade Devin Williams, which again, I don't think you should. Now, Rosenthal points out that Josh Hader, the timeline with the Hader and the Devin Williams thing was basically this upcoming trade deadline, 2024 that is. I actually, this this might sound crazy, I'd give Devin Williams a contract. Even with Abner Uribe, I, I think that, well, with Abner Uribe, see, it's tough. See, this is what you deal with with a small market. Again, I would not give the keys to Abner Uribe. I feel like that's giving a 17-year-old a Ferrari. Like, I, I just do not think that's a good idea. I think Devin Williams, let Abner be the setup guy for a year and let Devin pitch it out. And then, yeah, maybe you move on from Devin the following year, in his last year, in his walk year. You basically have, you can recoup some more talent and just keep this thing going. They have a top farm system. We've seen teams with top farm systems absolutely explode. Arizona, Baltimore were were very much the examples this season. Why can't that be the Milwaukee Brewers? Does anyone have like a good answer for me? I, I don't I don't really get it. So when they, they talk about this over this rebuild, it's just, I don't think that they are going to tear, tear it down to the studs because they already have guys that are ready to go unless they really want to get extremely young. And if they get extremely young, I don't want fucking red-ass Pat Murphy to be the manager. I want a young guy in there. And I realize young guys have not been that successful in terms of getting to World Series. But look, if we're two years away, that's fine. That's fine to have that. If if he's the bridge to guy who's serious about World Series, fine. That's okay. I just, I don't necessarily think anyone knows what the Brewers are doing. And, and I don't mean that in like a directionalist way, like I've critiqued Packers in the past. It's more that I think the Brewers are keeping things kind of close to their vest. I, I think that there is not a ton of leaks I think that they want to just sort of move in silence. 
They, you know, the can of trade was out of fucking nowhere on a Saturday afternoon. And I, and I know that's a small deal, but it, it's still like there was no inclination that they were like, yeah, we're done with Canna or that, yeah, we're going to bring Canna back. They just made the move. So I, I do think like where it's going to be a Sunday football Sunday and Corbin Burns gets traded to the Dodgers for a bunch of prospects. Like that could easily happen. It would not surprise me. I just don't think we know exactly where the Brewers are going. I think number one is get a manager. Number two is then decide, all right, who matters on this team? Do we think we have a run in us with the manager we have and with the team we have? And do we want to compete with the Cubs? We talked about that yesterday on Tapping the Cat. You can listen to it. I just, I think this idea that they're entering this like multi-year rebuild is just not possible. Not with the way that the fan base is in near revolt. I think that just would send a terrible message. And I don't think they are that far away. Could they be average this year? Trio looks awesome. He wins rookie of the year. And all of a sudden the Brewers are right back in the mix next the following year. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I wouldn't sleep on. The Brewers have a lot of outfielders. You have Sal Freelich, you have Garrett Mitchell, you have Trio, Christian Yelich. Not, not going where you think I'm going. Are we sure they wouldn't be buyers and trade Garrett Mitchell or Sal Freelich? I like both players. Don't get me wrong. They're pretty similar, though. Would they trade one of those guys and get more pitching? And all of a sudden, you've solved your Burns problem? You get a front-end pitcher, maybe has two or three years left? I, I do not know the name. Don't. This is just me working it out of my head. And all of a sudden, okay, you've basically added your burns. Now you have you have Peralta, you have whatever player acts. You have Ashby, you know, maybe bring some guys back. Like, I just am not ready to believe that a rebuild's happening. And I and I know I did this with the Packers and like Charlie, you're just doing the same naive fan bullshit and you're hurting yourself again. Yeah, probably, right? Like this is probably where I'm going. That said, like, I, I just am not ready to buy into this, like, idea that it's, it's going to be a rebuild uh, because I, I just don't see it. I, I really don't. And so I am rejecting the idea of a rebuild. It, are they going to reset maybe and trade Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas? Yeah, probably. I would, I would be probably in the 75. I think Willie Adamas is 75%. I think Corbin Burns is 50%. If you wanted me to do a trade value. And I think one of Freelick and Mitchell is 25%. So you really want to get nuts. Matt Arnold has done some things that are unconventional so far in his tenure. And that, I think that's the last thing to keep in mind. The William Contreras deal, they were not involved. It was a deal between the Braves and the Athletics. And the Brewers just popped in and were like, hey, do you want S. Terry Ruiz? We don't want him. We don't need him. Oh, what do you want for him? Ah, uh, we'll take... William Contreras, you guys don't seem to have a need for him. Oh, yeah, we'll give you that. Because you're in Sean Murphy. Like, can we get Contreras? And then Oakland, can we give you, can we get Piamas? We're like, yeah, sure. He's a nobody. And then Elvis Peguero for Hunter Renfro. And I know they got other pitchers. But, like, he's done some things that are a little off the wall. And they've worked out. I'm not saying everyone's going to be a winner, right? That happens all the time with GMs. There are good things, there are bad things. 
But I, I, I do wonder, is, there, is, the, is he up to something a little bit? We'll see. We, we shall see. I uh, got to get that manager first. We'll see if that happens sooner rather than later. I do want to say I was almost going to make this a full topic next week, but I, I had some people on TikTok typing the keg sports. If you're not following along, tell me to get over it with Craig Council. I, I hate that. I hate that idea because I, I think that the, I like get over it, be like, Hey, get over it. Like, fuck off. Like you get over it when you're ready. Like if it sits with you for two weeks, three weeks, fuck. That's life. If you're done with it for a day, you flush it, cool. Like, that's, it's part of being a sports fan. You don't necessarily get over shit. Now, we're going to talk about the Bucks here in a second. I'll get over the Bucks loss because Giannis dropped 54. I'm spoiling one of my takeaways, but that's okay. Giannis scored 54. Indiana is not a threat to me. I'll tuck myself in at night knowing that. And that won't keep me up. I'll get over that loss pretty easily. And Dave didn't play. And Chris was on a minute restriction. I'll get over that. I'm not going to just immediately be like, oh, happy-go-lucky. Because I don't know where the Brewers are going. They're in flux. And that's kind of stressful. And so you put the blame on Craig Council. Now, am I somewhat over it by now? So, yeah, I've made peace. That's different than getting over it. Making peace and saying, all right, yeah. He's a fucking cub. All right, cool. That was his dream job. Really weird, but cool, I guess. And now it's now it's just trying to beat him every time out there. And yeah, it's going to be must-see TV when they all play. But had to get that out there. And we'll see if there's any moves made this weekend by the Brew Crew. Just spoke about it, but moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks had two games uh, since we last taped against Detroit and Indiana. They were both two-point finishes. One, the Bucks won uh, 120 to 118, and then the Bucks also lost uh, 126 to 124 against Indiana. I have a bunch of takeaways from this uh, that stood out. Uh, we'll do tapped keg and uh, tap keg and golden keg for both games. Uh, which, yeah, because yeah, why not? Um, Takeaway number one, the Giannis revenge angle is always a go-to. 54 points, 12 rebounds. He was incredible tonight against Indiana. Uh, Just a absolute masterclass gets overused, but it was true cinema watching Antetokounmpo play basketball tonight. It It was definitely one of those nights you're glad you're tuning in because he was absolutely dominant. Uh, The Pacers had 0.0 answers for Giannis. No, he could do everything. And he, the guy played with a chip on his shoulder after the ejection, which we'll talk about here in a second. I uh, just loved what I saw from Antetokounmpo tonight. Uh, he's had a really great week. Uh, I understand he had the ejection, but he was, he was on his way to another big, like probably 30-point night. Uh, he had 30 against Brooklyn. Uh, so it, it, definitely a chance for a player of the week as they have a fourth game here against Orlando on Saturday. But yeah, it seems like Giannis is kind of back to full strength, which is a really good sign. After the surgery, everything else, it seems like Giannis is really sort of hitting his stride, which is great to see. Uh, number two, Bucks salvage a one-on-one split with guys missing both games. It's good, I guess. I, you know, I, I'd like to beat Indiana. 
Uh, I'd like to beat Detroit. I, you know, Detroit was, would have been a catastrophic loss had the Bucs lost that game. Had the Bucs lost that game, which they looked like they were on their way to, they were down 10 in the fourth quarter, it would have been a complete fucking nightmare. I, I was almost to the point where I'm like, do I got to hop on the podcast and just do like a Bucks wrap up here and do like 20 minutes on Bucks Pistons because that's how like infuriating that game was. And credit the Pistons, you know, they were scrappy. They hung in there after kind of getting their asses kicked for four straight days. And they were on their way to getting their asses kicked. Don't get me wrong. Like, it was 73-60 to 60 when Giannis throws on that dunk and he stares down and gets kicked out of the game. That was on its way to being a blowout. And it didn't happen that way. And Pistons fought back. Marcus Sasser was incredible. I have no idea how nobody picked up Marcus Sasser. I think I mentioned that when we previewed this week. Uh, he's, he was great. Uh, and so, yeah, they get the one-on-one split. It probably should have been 2-0. Uh, if Indiana doesn't come out guns a-blazing in the first quarter, the Bucks win that game pretty easily. Uh, they held Indiana down after Indiana got off to a hot start, which if you want, like, to me, the biggest positive from these two ga- games is that the Bucks didn't lay down after this game. Like the Bucks were down early. I think it was like 30 to 12 at one point in this game. Like the, the Pacers had a large lead in that first half, first quarter. And the Bucks could easily just packed it in like they did with Toronto, like they did with Atlanta and said, all right, we'll live. Yeah, it was 12, 30 to 12 with three minutes left to go in that quarter. The Bucks ended up finishing that quarter on a 12. They ended up finishing that quarter, what, 12? at 12-8, and so they brought it back to 14. And and then after that, the Bucs won the third, won the second, won the third quarter pretty convincingly, and then they just ran out of gas in that fourth quarter. And you just wonder, had the Bucs started a little bit better, slow down Indiana a little bit more, they pro- they win that game easily. Like if that's a even game, the Bucs win, you know, going away. Um, Indiana's 38 was the highest they had all all throughout the game. They scored 28, 27, 33 the rest of the game. The Bucks 24 was their lowest, 36, 34, and 30 in the last three quarters. So it, I appreciate that the Bucks fought in there and hung in there and didn't kind of give up. Uh, that would have been concerning to me because that would have been the third time it's happened in basically eight games. And I've you know been a very big proponent of not overreacting. Uh, but yeah, that was... That was there, right? You know, that would, that could have been real ugly, and it wasn't. Uh, takeaway three: final four minutes of each game kind of proved why Dame is needed. We saw Dame against Detroit absolutely close out the Pistons. I had 18 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, Dame time was upon us yet again, uh, and had a great, great finish that one. He had a calf injury tonight, so he didn't play. And the, four, the final four minutes for the Bucs was a complete mess offensively. Giannis had a couple of bad turnovers. Chris Middleton was trying too much. I think Giannis was out of gas. Like, I think Giannis was completely spent at that point and he didn't have anything left in the tank. And so that's why he was trying to pass. He was trying to be a facilitator, less looking for the ball. I think he just had nothing left. And I don't know if Adrian Griffin's out there, if there would have been a little more of actions going on where it could have, you know, gave Giannis a reprieve or even gave him a rest at some point. But yeah, Giannis uh, was definitely struggling there. And 
Dame would have been a huge asset. I think the Bucs wouldn't go, again, I, I say a lot going away, but the Bucs would have won that game pretty easily, I think, had Dame been there. Uh, Giannis' ejection, I, I'm sure a lot's been said already, but absolutely fucking garbage. Uh, Scott Trudowski should not be allowed to ref a Bucks game the rest of the year. Trudowski's home ATS is like shockingly low for last year. Uh, teams that were home when Trudowski was refing were like 16 and 38, six against the spread. Like that's unbelievable. Like I almost swore there, but like that's, that is a huge discrepancy. And now I just need to gamble on every home team or against every home team that Scott Trudowski refs because it's a thing at this point. Like it, it was just terrible. And there was some vendetta, I guess he, he also uh, gave Thanasis as a technical last December. So maybe he has something against the Greeks. I don't know, man. Uh, but just absolute garbage all around. Number five, I liked what I saw from Andre Jackson Jr., a.k.a. Ajax, that uh, Mark Schatz has given him. I don't know how I feel about the nickname. And Marjan plus Giannis and Lillard will be a bigger thing come February March. That lineup was out there in the second quarter and they were dominating, or second or third quarter against Detroit and they were dominating. And I love that lineup. I think that lineup can go. Um, I think Giannis and Dame are smart enough that they can work with those young guys and make sure that they're making the right decisions. That is a nasty group defensively when you have both Jackson Jr. and Marjan and Giannis. Uh, Marjan's defense has been excellent this year. Uh, I think more Marjan minutes are on the way. I don't know when they'll pull the plug on Malik Beasley, but when they do, it's going to be Marjan. I think Dame Lillard and Giannis both love Marjan. Um, so I, I think you're going to see that, that lineup become a much bigger thing come February or March. I liked what I saw from Chris Middleton. Uh, can we take the minute restrictions off? Please, Adrian Griffin, I'm begging you, man. I've been, I've been in your corner but it's time to get Middleton's minutes restrictions off. He was great today, 19 points. Uh, he had a huge second quarter where he basically you know, brought the Bucks back on a personal 7-0 run. Really some vintage Middleton stuff. And that's really encouraging to see. Uh, 19 points overall on 13 shots. Uh, he missed, you know, the classic, he misses the three to tie the game. And then he makes a three at the end to bring it within two, uh, which is just fucking brutal, man. Uh, that that hurt. Uh, it's too bad he didn't make the first one. Uh, but yeah, really good good stuff from Middleton. But the minutes restriction has to come off. I think once that comes off, I think then we can talk about the Bucks in a new light. And then once Middleton's kind of two weeks in, then we talk about him again. I really hope we're getting closer and closer to that Boston game in two weeks. I hope we have the minutes restriction off probably in the next couple of games. Uh, it would be kind of infuriating if we have it until until December or something like that. Uh, number seven, Brooke was massive in the win against Detroit. Now, he didn't really play well in the Indiana game, but the Detroit game, he was incredible. Uh, he hit 14 points, four threes, hit a massive three uh, down the stretch, had a huge block on Kate Cunningham. Uh, really good stuff from Brooke Lopez. And we've seen him now in two, effect two wins uh, for the Bucks at home. So that's really good to see. And he's he's also a corner three merchant, man. Like, you have, you have, Brooke has to uh, find the corner. He's, he's like a taller Sam Perkins. Uh, eight, do you believe in Indiana? I always kind of say like Dion now. Do you believe? Uh, 
No, I don't. Uh, here's the thing. I like Indiana. Indiana's fun as fuck. Like, Indiana should get more ESPN games. Get them on the TNT. Like, we need to have the Pacers involved. Indiana, obviously, the home or, like, the birthplace of basketball. Is it the birthplace of basketball? I don't know. Indiana loves fucking basketball. So, you know that they're going to get some good crowds there. They are awesome to watch. All right? They have no interior defense. They are an absolute sieve inside. Any team that has a little bit of size, which is Boston, which is Philadelphia, which is Milwaukee, they are going to get absolutely torn apart. Now, what would be interesting with Indiana, and I don't know how it would all work, you guys who would do trade machines, wouldn't they be a, kind of a sneaky Carl Towns destination? And people have been looking to trade Carl Towns for a while now. Wouldn't Carl Towns make some sense with Indiana? And you're like, well, isn't Carl Towns Miles Turner? He's bigger. Like, I don't know. He's not exactly a great interior defender, but wouldn't Carl Towns be a better option than Miles Turner? And wouldn't Miles Turner actually fit better for what Minnesota's doing? And I'm sure there's other pieces you could throw around in there. That, that kind of seems too easy, right? Like, am I dumb on that? I don't know. You guys let me know. Uh, I. I thought about that just on the fly. But anyways, yeah, my Indiana, like, I think Indiana, I had them in the play-in. I think they have the last team in the East. And some guy out of the blue, just some Pacers fan was like, you have Indiana way too low. And I'm like, ah, my team I'm kind of riding with is the Pacers. But I feel like Indiana and Orlando, and Orlando lost by one tonight to Atlanta. Atlanta's another team I kind of had too low. Like, the East is a little better, I think, than people make it out to be. The Wizards are dog shit. No one should lose to the Wizards. Hornets are, they, they have moments, but they, they are kind of, if they play a bad team, they, they're not always into it. Good teams, they kind of get up for. They're a mess. But, like, you look at it, and it's a little deeper than I think people thought it was. And the Knicks, I don't know, are, are the Knicks as good as they we thought they were? I'm not sure. Some people are already calling the Pacers the kings of last year or this year. I think that's a little bit aggressive. But, I mean, that's just the world we live in. I mean, fucking college basketball is like, is JMU the Florida Atlantic of this year? It's like, we're two games into the goddamn season. Like, yeah, they had two great wins. They beat Michigan State. They beat Kent State on the road. Like, those are good wins. But, like, fuck, let's calm down, man. I, I just hate it. Like, I hate the sensationalism. That is through all of sports media at this point. It's ridiculous. And they want to bitch about Barstool, you know, gamble, talking about gambling on the college on their college basketball screen, which is their invitational, whatever. I don't, I don't need to get into that. Uh, number nine, Malik Beasley uh, continues to struggle on the defensive end. Man, Malik Beasley's bad. Like, I don't know. Uh, I was all in on the Malik Beasley train. He can, he can hit threes. That's, and he can get to the lane a little bit. That's, that's all Malik Beasley can do. He is all offense, man. Uh, and you combine him with Dame Lillard, and it's nasty. So I, they have to figure something out with that. Uh, and I don't know when they'll figure it out, but hopefully sooner rather than later. And then lastly, Orlando on Saturday, three games and four nights. It would be awesome to have everybody. It would be awesome to have Chris. It would be awesome to have Dame. Uh, the Magic are coming in, though, and they played an altitude in Mexico City. Pretty tough game against Atlanta, where it was 120 to 119, so a ton of scoring. Uh, it should be an interesting matchup with the Magic. The Bucks 
matched up well with them last year. Uh, Giannis, again, it's, he's too big for for them. They have a they well, they do have Jonathan Isaac now. Jonathan Isaac did not play last year because of injury. So it'll be interesting to see if Jonathan Isaac is enough to slow down Giannis because they did not have enough size to compete with the Bucks last year. Even though they have bigger guys with Bancaro and and Watt, Watt, Wagner, that's like Wagner, Wagner, uh, they they just could not hang. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, with that. Also, it'll be fascinating to see. We're going, we have a Friendsgiving on Saturday and Mitch will be there. I'll be there with Mitch. How will Mitch try to get Bucks Magic on the TV? It is a college basketball house or college football household. Badgers are playing at 2.30. We're going to talk about that in a second here. And how does he get the Bucks on the TV? Does he even try? Does he go for putting it on his phone and, and it's just on his phone? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Mitch navigates that. Um, I feel like I feel like you could get Bucks Magic on after the Badger game's over. So he probably missed the first half. I don't know. I think that, that would work out. Speaking of Badgers, let's wrap up today's show with them. Uh, so... I think, you know, we talked about it on Monday's show about how I just didn't understand the vitriol for the Badgers that, you know, they were missing their quarterback, they're missing their running back, they're missing one of their top wide receivers. And I just felt like it was unjustified. I felt like Indiana is not a good football team, but they've kind of found something here in the last two weeks. And they have an outside shot at making a bowl game. They have an outside shot of maybe saving Tom Allen's job. I don't mean to recap what, what I talked about Monday, but if you missed it, like that, that was sort of the genesis of it. So now what I'm wondering is, is it acceptable that the Badgers kind of have an incomplete grade on the year if Braylon Allen is out for significant time? That's the part. That's kind of the, the asterisks of it. If Braylon Allen misses today, and he misses, or on Saturday, excuse me, and he misses Nebraska, he'll, if you miss three games of the season, that is nearly the NFL IR example. And I just wonder how you can quantify that for Wisconsin when Ches Malusi also is out with an injury. The Badgers continue to have the covered bear. Isaac Rendo is running all over for Louisville. And Zach Halpern was like, oh, it'd be great to have him. Well, guess what? You didn't do a good job keeping your guys happy, like Rendo and Nikita Watson. I don't think it's having that great a year with Washington State, but you get the idea. It goes back to the cover being bare. And so that's why I don't know if I can give a grade to Wisconsin because I, I just look at them and I say, all right, this is a team that continues to be in flux. That has not necessarily had a consistent sort of everyone all in roster for the entire year. They've battled a ton of injuries. Now, is that because of the new strength and conditioning coach? Is that because just how the cookie crumbles? Some of them have been bone breaks, right? Like you had Malusi broke his leg. Uh, Mordecai broke his hand. Uh, so it's like some of those you can't prevent. Like no strength training prevents that. It's just your bones. And they were, your bones break, unfortunately. And so I just, I don't think that there needs there needs to really be a label to Luke Fickle's first year. I, I don't think it's really gonna be a positive if you know the Badgers win out and then they win a pretty good bowl game. I could see that being a pretty solid year. Their over would hit for the year. If they lose out, I think that would be kind of a red flag. 
Because I, I do think you have two games at home. You should take care of business. I think the Gophers are really bad. And I, I also think that that's, that should be a motivation game after they've had the axe for, uh, what, three years, three straight years now? Like, you got to show up for that. So I do think, like, there is a way where this could go sideways. But I, I really look at the season for Wisconsin as incomplete. I don't think we've seen the true version of the Badgers. And I, I just wonder, you know, if Braylon Allen doesn't get hurt in that, that first half of the Ohio State game, you know, are they in that to the end with Ohio State? And I don't think they lose to Indiana. Absolutely not. Like, there's no way in my mind they lost, they lost to Indiana because Grendo and Watson are elsewhere. And they lost because Paul Christen could not recruit running backs anymore, which is like the bread and butter of Wisconsin football. So I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I just look at it like there should be a incomplete on this, especially if Braylon Allen's going to miss, miss more time. Let's run through the betting lines quick, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, the Badgers are 10.5 point favorites against a scrappy Northwestern team. Northwestern just took Iowa to the death. It was 10-7. They beat Maryland the week prior. Back-to-back uh, -back road games for Northwestern. Northwestern's kind of found something again, getting rid of Ben Bryant and going with their other quarterback. Uh, I am not touching that spread. That is a pure, un unfiltered, I was going to unaltered, I can't say the word, so I'm not going to try. I almost tried again. That's a complete stay away. Uh, ten and a half is way too many points. If you are someone who roots against the Badgers, maybe you're a Marquette fan, might be one you might want to take. Brennan Sullivan's the name of, of the guy. So I am not touching that in the slightest. Uh, no thank you. The under, though, at 42 and a half, I'll take that. Uh, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, Wisconsin Northwestern is usually a dogfight. Uh, four of the last five have went to under 40, 42. You look at some of the games that they've played. Two of the last three, Nebraska was 17-9. Iowa, 10-7. Uh, yeah, the last road games, it has not been pretty uh, for Northwestern on the road. So, yes, I, I think Wisconsin wins. I just think it's a little closer than that 10.5. So that's why I'm recommending a stay away for the people. All right, that does it for today's show. We will be back Monday. We'll recap Packer Steelers. We'll talk Badgers, Wildcats. Probably talk some Bucks Magic. Get ready for next week for the Bucks. And we'll also maybe talk about Marquette. Uh, they play Ryder on Friday. So yeah, a lot to talk about. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll be there for you on Monday. So we'll see you then. All right, take care, guys. Thank you again for all the support. Much appreciated. And we'll see you Monday and on the socials all weekend. All right, take care. Peace.